Landers to podcast, an album-by-album review of Sting's totally authentic punk rock career. I'm Adam Ragusea. I want to punch Sting in the face, but I also kind of want to have sex with him. I'm Meg Donahue, and I just want to have sex with him. Today we are talking about The Police's debut album, Outlandos de Amor. The namesake of this podcast. Yes. Or is it this podcast's namesake? The, is the um, namesake the thing that is named after the thing, or is it the thing after which the thing is named? And it's like two mirrors right next to each other, and you just see infinity. <laughs> <laughs> this record was one of my favorite records as a teenager. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would have, I got the Sting, the police box set um, when I was in high school, and the first CD. You're not a real fan. You bought a collection. <laughs> no way, man. There were some You don't love him like there. I do. Whatever. I love him. Um, and it was the first CD had like their early and rare stuff. And it was one of my favorites. It just sounds really grungy and has an edge and like the angry young man that Sting should always have been. And he's not anymore. <laughs> it makes me sad. Picture this, we were both butt naked, banging on the bathroom floor. I want 1976 Sting back. Whoa! So this album came out in 1978. Adam, what was happening in the world in 78? God suddenly changed his mind about people of color, or so claim some Mormons, who reversed their policy excluding so-called Canaanites from the LDS church. Ugh. Columbia Pictures paid $9.5 million for the movie rights to the play Annie. The film would later be the inspiration for children everywhere to achieve their dreams of living the glamorous life of a 1920s Chicago orphan. My brother Tony was born. Tony. Thus, Tony. <laughs> thus giving me an older brother whose records I could later steal, making me a millennial with a Gen Xer's taste in music, which as far as I'm concerned is the only kind of person to be. Absolutely. Uh, the comic strip Garfield debuted, chronicling the mental collapse of bachelor John Arbuckle in his delusion that he owns an overweight, Monday-hating cat who talks to him. 1978. It's the year that Sting broke out, struck it big, and finally got into that limo with the Queen Mother. Yay! <laughs> and what did they do in there? <laughs> woo woo! She's a schlapper. No, she's not. She's a wonderful woman. We were talking last time about how it, it sort of seems like Sting emerged from the womb fully formed in his metal bikini. Yeah. Um, and we were sort of surprised that it took him until the age of 26 to leave sleepy Newcastle upon Tyne mm -hmm. and go down to London to be the star that he was destined to be. Go down to King's Landing. However... <laughs> Make his fortune in King's Landing. Enjoy the capital, brother. Oh, I always do. <laughs> Dragons. I, I did find a photograph that I think um, argues against that theory and, in fact, explains things. So here's a photograph of Sting playing in a jazz band in Newcastle. And I'll let me um, zoom. Enhance, computer. <laughs> in Biganate. <laughs> in Biganate. <laughs> Look Ooh. at what he's got in his hair. That is a, that, I mean, it's business and casual and awful, and that's a mullet, and that is not okay, Sting. That is Sting with a big-ass mullet. Oh, and that, that is, is so bad. Not <laughs> a good-looking mullet. Not. Okay. <laughs> My point is that Sting wasn't out of the oven yet. No. Okay? If anything, if this could happen, he wasn't ready for, for King's <laughs> Landing yet. Right. 
That was probably all the rage at Newcastle in 72. Oh, jeez. But he goes down to, to King's Landing, and he, as we mentioned before, he, he hooks up with Stuart Copeland on the drums and this punky French guy. Um, eventually, they ditch that guy, and they get Andy Summers, who is 10 years older than them. Yep. And it's just like this veteran, you know, jazz jazz guy. All he, comes back to jazz. He always looks grizzled. Even like in his youth, he looked grizzled. Well, have we even seen him in his youth? Because he's like 40 when this is all going down, you know? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and he's 40 in jazz age. I mean, that's that's pretty Oh, it's a lot of years. That's yeah. a lot of that's a lot of mileage. So my the big question is. To what extent was their adoption of punk rock as the music that they were going to try to play yeah. opportunism or sincerity? And it depends on who you talk to. Yeah. Um, I found a clip. This is uh, Stuart Copeland uh, talking to the television program Extra. Extra. In 2006. I had an interesting conversation with Steve Jones, who has a, ra- you know, the, the Sex Pistol, who has his own radio show now in, here in Los Angeles. And... Um, God, he's so I cool. had some trepidation going into this interview because, look, the Sex Pistols created something and the police stole it. You know, these, they were youngsters. They were like 18, 19, and they created this cool thing. And we were the big kids. We were like in our 20s. We looked over their shoulders just like the big kids on the, on the school playground. and said, ah, I'll take that. And we took it <laughs> all the way to the bank. And uh, I was wondering how he would uh, greet me after all these years. But he, fortunately, he does have a sense of humor, and we laughed over it. I thanked him profusely for creating, essentially, a hairdo that made me very wealthy. There you go. <laughs> so, so Stewart's position is that this, this was totally craven, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, check out Sting um, in an interview from I can't really tell when or what the providence of this is. It looks like it's the 1980s of some. Yeah, that looks like like 83. Mm, something like that. Um, and here's what he says about the music that they, they started out playing. We got together, and we still remain together, first and foremost, because we like playing music. We like the music we play. It, it is an accident, I swear this, that it is uh, also pleasing to a vast number of people. Uh, it's a continuing source of amusement and pleasure to me that this happens. But I write songs to please myself, and the band plays to please itself. <laughs> and we just happen to become millionaires by it. Mm. We, yeah, no, no not buying it. Not buying it. Not buying it. If I, of the character of Sting, I think he is essentially what has made him so successful is that he's a businessman. He saw an opportunity in the market and he went for it. I yeah. think he has. Um, enough musical background to play anything. Like if Zydeco was the big thing in you know 1983, the right. police would have been a Zydeco band. Um, and it's interesting to me that when you think about it in that sense, it's it's sort of easy to understand w- one aspect of why the police were so successful and so immediately successful mm-hmm. is that you know the, the classic story of the evolution of punk from from punk rock to new wave was that basically you had a whole bunch of these like angry teenagers who uh, were reacting to the excesses of prog rock and glam rock and all of that. Mm -hmm. And they uh, created this new kind of music that required no talent or ability to play. And they played it and they created this cool kind of cultural moment that was very important and and 
seemed very, very vital. But as the years went by, they started to actually learn how to play their instruments. And, you know, Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols goes on to form Public Image Limited, which is this great new wave band of people who can actually play. And you get like the Talking Heads, you know, a band of people who can actually play, but they still have fundamentally a punk rock attitude, a punk rock aesthetic. Yeah, it's like sophisticated punk. Right, sophisticated punk. That's what new wave was. And the thing about the police and the reason the police was able to be the vanguard of the new wave is that they, they started... They started in the late 70s when punk rock was beginning, but they were, as Stuart was saying, they were in their mid-20s, or in the case of Andy's case, in his mid-30s, <laughs> all right, and already very, inc- you know, incredibly accomplished at their instruments. Yeah. So they started off, they, they skipped, they basically skipped the evolution, right? Um, That's a good point, yeah. It's kind of like those kids who um, their parents are insufferable tryhards. And so like they plan their pregnancies so that their kids will be as old as possible for the grade that they're going to go into in school. That's a fucking People thing. Did that? you know that? That no. is a thing. Oh, that is oh, totally a thing. So the kid will have marriage. like developmental advantages over all of the other kids in his peer group. My kid will understand object permanence by the time all those other babies are. I don't know. I don't exactly. know what babies do. That's 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 what that's what the police was. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, brilliant, but evil. <laughs> Is it evil though? I mean, that's a whole different conversation. You know, was it? It oh, granted, it wasn't genuine, but was it evil? I don't think it was evil. I think you know they didn't they didn't go to want success itself isn't evil. Greed is right. Greed works. To be good at what you do and to see a hole in the market isn't evil i think um oh it's so rock and roll to find a hole in the market exactly it's not rock and roll and i think that's that might be you know the man behind the curtain there with the police the real question i suppose is is the proof in the pudding right is the record good yeah and it is as we shall test momentarily indeed shall we begin at the beginning always uh, next to you. Stop it. Go. So we're bopping our heads. Yeah. This is good. It's real good. But it doesn't, to me, I don't think it fully sounds like the police yet. No, no. I think it still has um, that punk edge that they eventually smooth out. It's not just about the smoothness or the roughness, okay? I think that it gets to something that is at the core of why the police as a as a group are so unique. So un- oh, fuck. I just said so unique. <laughs> they're very unique. Very, they're so unique. They're so unique. They're very unique. They're the most unique. The most. <laughs> why... The police as a band are so special and it has to do with um, where the different instruments sit in the frequency spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, that's sort of frustrating about rock and roll um, as it has developed is that like the bass and the guitar are often in the same place. They sort of sit on top of one another. Mm-hmm. You've got a guitar that's like kind of playing a riff and it's playing the root notes of that riff. Um, and it's sort of, it's in that kind of like mid to low range and the bass is just kind of doubling it. And they they basically act as one instrument. Um, and 
that leads to situations where like the bass can be almost extraneous and you get like, you know, Metallica's fourth album where they mix the bass all the way out and nobody notices or really cares. <laughs> right? Was that Jason Newstead? Yes, poor they... Jason oh, Newstead. Oh, Jason Newstead. So Lars comes in. Alright, I want you to drop the bass level down in the mix where you barely audibly can hear it. And then for this all right, drop it down another six to eight dB. But the police, um, as they evolve, you start to see the guitar and the bass staking out very different areas of the spectrum. You mm-hmm. see the guitar doing kind of atmospheric stuff up high, whereas the bass is down low, um, being the sole instrument on the undergirding riff. Like, they have two different jobs to do, and it creates this wonderful sense of transparency, mm-hmm. which we don't see in, like, a lot of these songs. A lot of these songs are just, like, arranged like a normal rock band. But But um, I do think that the police do sound like totally fully formed on the big hit from this record, which is Roxanne. Roxanne. All right, let's listen. This is Lobster Fest. It's Lobster Lobster Fest. It's Lobster Fest. I've always wanted to go to Red Lobster. Lobster truffle mac and cheese. (laughs) So high guitar part, uh-huh. low bass. They're not stepping on each other at all. They're right. even rhythmically distinct. Roxanne, you don't have to put on the red light. Those days are over. You don't have to say One of my favorite things about this song is where um, the bass notes fall, which is in this weird place. If you count, it's one and two. One and two. Is that a jazz thing? And two. Well, it's just normally you would expect like the bass notes to be on like one. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like bump, bump, bump. Well, according to Stuart, this was Stuart's idea. He had to actually like help Sting play off the beat like that. I'm sure that if Sting were here, he would dispute that. Uh, yeah, what? <laughs> and what's great is like, the chorus is totally punk rock. So the guitar has gone down to those like low chords and uh-huh. it's really just doubling the bass. Yeah. And it's the contrast between the two that's so exciting. And then they separate again. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the lyrics. <laughs> it's a song about how, oh, I'm in love with a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm jealous about it. Right. And but I'm that's... the victim in this situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the victim. He's the victim. Um, you know, she goes out every night for a night of, you know, sexualized possible violence. And, you know, just put away your stuff, man. Just just watch Netflix with me. Just, yeah. Like, I, I don't think I don't think she went into prostitution because it was a choice. Yes. Yeah. Roxanne! That's my favorite part. Roxanne! Here it comes again. It's a little sharp this time. Roxanne! Yeah, one of the fun things to me about Sting's voice is that it's how actually out of control it is a lot of the time. You know, it's yeah. like, it's sometimes it's he totally like loses it and just becomes this <laughs> a, a, atonal whale. Um, I enjoy that. What do you think of the drums in it? What do I think about the drums? Yeah. Dude, I think Stuart Copeland is the greatest rock drummer of all time. Yeah. I, I there's, there's nobody better. That guy's good as hell. Good as hell. The drums are really easy to play. I don't know if it's just because I find it that way, but they really are. They're a joke. Anyone can do this. 
it's time to talk about our first sponsor for today's show, Crew Cuts. When you need everyone in your crew to have the same haircut, take them to Crew Cuts. Yeah, whether you're in a band or just a roving band of street toughs. Ooh, that was n- the best band. Nothing says sharp. Like everybody in your crew having exactly the same haircut. Am I right? Now, uh, with crew cuts, do they have, is it just simple, like high and tight, or do they get more? Oh, they can do anything that your crew wants. So, for example, when I was in my high school band in the late 90s, Mm. I took my crew to crew cuts. And they gave us the, that like late '90s sort of mop that's parted straight down the middle. Yes, the Hugh down Grant. The middle. Hugh Grant. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, did we look good? Mm. Mm. And what's also nice about Crew Cuts is that they've got an on-staff photographer, so they can take that kind of whimsical shot of the back of all four of your heads <gasps> oh. when you're in the barber chairs together, it's like the Beatles. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> And then for a little bit extra, mm-hmm. the staff photographer will follow y'all out onto the street as you like strut down the sidewalk all with your matching haircuts. But looking real casual, like you didn't know a photographer was there. Oh, exactly. Like, whatever. That's right. We're just, you know, hanging out, being dudes with the same haircut. Yes. So, yes, whether you want to get the um, the Hugh Grant mm-hmm. or if you want to get the um, tousled, spiky platinum thing. Nice. Or... What would you get with your crew, Meg? Oh, gosh. You know what? I'm going to go for um, the Carly Simon, super straight. Again, you know, down the middle, spart right down the middle, but looks like a sad, looks like a sad lady. Oh, yeah. That hair that just seems to be going. Yeah. I play the guitar. It's an acoustic guitar. <laughs> and I eat granola from Whole Foods. Yeah. Just go into crew cuts and ask for them. Just the super sad. They know. Yeah. They know. They know. They're professionals. They know. They're good. Go to crew cuts. They're good people. They're good people. They're good people. Real good. Real good. Perhaps we should take a moment and talk about the album title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the police always caught a lot of flack for um, their seemingly nonsensical album album titles. Is it nonsensical or is it like a deliberately, you know, ersatz French slash Spanish, <laughs> right? It, it does sort of match up with their whole aesthetic of being... A little bit cooler than you, a little bit more sophisticated than you. But but it's also winkingly so because outlandos is not a real word, right? right? Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's like it's supposed to kind of mean outlaws of love, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Um, what's that? There's like an old like kind of like vaudeville, you know, going back to vaudeville comedy technique of speaking in a fake foreign language. There's a word for that. <laughs> like like Robin Williams used to do it a lot. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I do, but I didn't know there was a word There's for like it. There's like a word for it. It's like schmiggity-doo. I, I, you know. Because when I think of Miles Copeland, I think of vaudeville. <laughs> well, funny you should mention Miles Copeland, Stuart's older brother, because if you look to um, the the MTV 1992 rockumentary about I actually, Sting. I really like the rockumentary series. I saw a great one on Metallica, and they will always have a space in my heart because of that rockumentary. And Kurt Loder's voice. Oh, it's oh, serious. Yeah. Um, so li- a- listen to what Sting said about the album titles uh, in this rockumentary. <laughs> the album titles came from Miles Copeland, who, because you could never agree what to call an album, you know. Didn't seem important to me or anyone else. 
Charles I, mean, I was too cool for that. I mean, I just write the lyrics. <laughs> Don't pretend it's a dick and, thing um, when you signed on to it. <laughs> You know, if I had an alternative, I would have said no way, but I didn't. None of us did. And then the next one was called Regatta de Blanc. It was a kind of perverse logic to them, but, you, you know, beats me. <laughs> Don't play dumb, Sting. Nobody believes dumb. it. But I think that we should take this moment to talk about the character, the man, the myth, the legend. Indeed. Of Miles Copeland. He's the kingmaker. The kingmaker. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, the old, eldest brother of the Copeland brothers. And we were, I feel terrible because we were trying to summon the name of the middle Copeland brother. I think we came up with Benny, Benny <laughs> Copeland last time. <laughs> Benny Copeland. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's Ian, Ian Copeland. Ian Copeland. And the <laughs> thing is like, you know why, like we, yes, we, you and I, you know why you and I should really know that? Why? Because he's the one that lived where we live. We live in Macon, Georgia. Yep. He almost brought, what is it, IRS? Did he spawn uh, IRS records? Yes. Uh, or something like that. He almost brought REM here and it didn't It happen. didn't work yes. out. But he, he moved to Macon um, to work for Paragon Agency, which is the booking agency associated with Capricorn Records ah. here, which is the, that's Allman Brothers and uh, Otis Redding and all, all those kind of folks. Um, all the people I hit on the tour when you come here. All the bands. Oh, oh, the tour of Macon, Georgia. The tour of Macon, Georgia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The extensive tour the of Macon, Georgia. The extensive tour. There's so many sites. <laughs> Molly Hatchett's apartment, <laughs> or accountant's apartment. <laughs> We're going to go to hell for that. We're so going to hell for that. Um, Miles Copeland, the, the patriarch. Yes, the patriarch. Uh, music manager extraordinaire and Indeed. manager of the police. Check out that hair. Here he is in 1983. So I came into um, Adam's office to record this, and he had this um, this clip pulled up. And I'm like, why are you watching videos of Theresa May? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the right honorable gentleman stands up here, and he talks about austerity. If he's that concerned about austerity, you would think that he would want to make sure that it could never, ever happen again. And <laughs> Theresa May, of course, being um, the prime minister. People know who fucking Theresa May yeah, is. Fuck okay? you. Fuck you. Fuck, 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 fuck you. You don't fuck know the you. educational fuck level you. of the dum-dums who listen to our shows. They're a bunch of fucking Geordies. Yeah, they are. We should be so lucky. But yeah, he looks like um, he looks like Theresa May. He's one of these guys who's so confident that like... He and so sort of has so much false confidence mm -hmm. that like you know once he like he has one hairstyle and he just sticks with it for the Ooh, rest of his life because he's just like no people love my hair <laughs> it's uh, I mean what do you mean you don't love my hair why would because it's very 1970s this hair it's right? very it's very very, very 1970s, 1970s but very he's got feathered. it in 1983 in this video right nice um, and he really he like he has it to this day the, <laughs> that kind of how do you how do you describe that the the sort of super long on the sides. Right, yeah. And um, then um, just sort of brushes the collar at the back and it's feathered. You know he spent a little too long um, with the hairbrush and the blow dryer in the morning. Right, yeah. Is he the one who was with Courtney Cox? I don't know. Yeah, we had to look that up. One of them, I think it was Ian, was with Courtney Cox. Well, this is, yes, this is not Ian. That's this not Ian. Miles. That's Miles, okay. Yeah, Miles is the, Miles is the important one. Okay, we were yeah. talking about Ian, sorry. We were talking about Ian? There's going to be a lot of editing in this episode. No, it's fine. <laughs> Is that the guy from Law & Order, SVU, ne sitting next to him? No, that's Jules Holland. No way! <laughs> How, so I think to do a show about Sting and the police, we have to talk about Jules Holland because Jules Holland does a number of the most significant interviews with yes. Sting through the years. Yeah. St Jules Holland was a jazz piano player on the British music scene. Um, and for some reason, someone thought 
that he should be someone at the BBC thought that he would be a good talk show host. And <laughs> I'm like, I think why? He's still on the BBC. He's still on. Yeah. And as our the first guest I'm going to introduce, there's not a lot of time, so I'm just going to get straight into introducing. And he has, this is a man with like zero charisma. <laughs> he's like he looks like Emerald. I'm gonna add some garlic in here. <laughs> he you know? looks like Richard Blazer. <laughs> brother killing brother. I didn't see that coming. He's like Richard Blazer without the glasses. I don't know why that man is on television, um, but anywho, the British okay. have a weird sense of irony. So, so I, I think that I think that Ian, no, Miles Copeland is going to end up being the bad guy, the villain of our story. Um, not not three pieces. He is he is such he is such a dirtbag. So, <laughs> li- listen listen to this clip. This is from an interview in 1983 with Jules Holland. It's rumored that in the case of the police, you actually take fifty percent, and they only take fifty percent. That's absolutely untrue. Absolutely untrue. It's the other way around. Fine, fine, fine. And it's also remember that you're a black belt karate expert. Uh, not karate, judo actually. Yeah, I have a few artists that can attest to that. But what a dick! (laughs) So, I don't, I don't know that much about the music industry. But you gotta reckon that like a fifty percent take of an artist's earnings, if you're the manager, is a little bit high. Yeah, that's a little bit high. What I think like um, when agents get like what twenty percent, something like that, fifteen percent. Like yeah, like my my wife is a novelist and has an agent, and he gets fifteen percent. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And what really kills me is the pride <laughs> with which he says, "Like no, 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 it's the other way around." <laughs> it's like, hey, I got a great joke, Jules. I'm gonna need you to ask me how much money I take from the oh, band. Oh, I know. It was totally a setup. <laughs> Right? It was. He was workshopping that. I don't like no cards in this back of the of the town car. Yeah, because <laughs> he thought that was going to make him come off real good. Exactly, and then, just like that hair. Exa- and the what? judo, not karate. <laughs> it's judo. It's one step more intense. <laughs> and I kick the shit out of Sting with my feet. <laughs> <laughs> Sting is wafy. He's a waif. He is a waif. He is a waif. He's a he's a he's a he's a he's a twiggy little thing. He is. I think it's all that road food <laughs> just going right through him. <laughs> going right through him. That's a sting. That's a sting. Stays so thin. He he has the runs. Sting just he's has the shit. Diarrhea burning. for forty five years. It's not yoga. In one end and out the other, man. Ooh. With that guy. Ooh, it's, oh. it wasn't sting. It was something else. <laughs> Beauty has a cost, is what I'm saying. Right, exactly. You know, got to choose your face or your ass. <laughs> what song do you want to listen to next off of this record? Oh, gosh. There's so many good ones. I like, um, no. I like, what do I want to listen to? I like Truth It's Everybody. Truth hits everybody. Here's one that like is very much like we're just gonna write a straight up punk rock song. Yeah, it's a this great is the one. one on this record that sounds the least like the police, I think. Mm-hmm. Whoa. 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 <laughs> and again, I don't want to belabor the point. But like, you think about how different the guitar playing is on this song, especially with its relation to the bass. It's low chords that are just playing the root notes of the riff. The bass and the guitar are functionally the same instrument. See, and that's I, so rare for later police. I just can't get over the drums, how good the drums are. Oh, yeah. That's the thing about like Stewart is that even in the context of a very straight-ahead 
punk beat like this, he's finding little ways to have flair. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a standout. He is a standout. A standout. He's a standout man. I mean, that's that's the thing is that it's like, it's, it's, it, in a band like The Police, where it's fronted by Sting, mm-hmm. okay, who in addition to writing virtually all the songs, is also the lead singer, yeah. is the front man, and is also like set by orders of magnitude better looking than either of the two guys, ah. right? Well, no, Stewart at this stage, I'm sorry, not, uh, and yeah, Stewart at this stage is a pretty handsome fellow, I admit. Well, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, Sting is an attractive guy. He's a, yeah, okay, all right. So he's like a male model, you know, who also is the dominant creative force <laughs> of the band. Keep it in pants, Adam, God. <laughs> but if all things being equal, like, we would never even know the names of the other two guys who were once in a band with Sting. That's true. You know what I'm saying? That's very true. It's like who, like, it's like who the other two women in Destiny's Child were. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. Right, exactly. That's that's the that's the that's the that's the same situation, right. right? Okay, and yet, despite all of that, we know who Stuart Copeland and Andy Summers are, and that's only because they are such superlative players of their instruments. It's yeah. So it's such it speaks so highly of them and their qualities. And I think they don't get overshadowed um, in the band by Sting. I feel like they push back on him, and, and I almost wonder, like, you mean musically or musically and personality wise. Uh, musically, I think that's why Stewart's got his fuck you drums going. Like, just <laughs> bam, bam, bam. And then, you know, Andy's got his guitar and he's not going to be forgotten. I feel like they're three, they do seem like brothers who will refuse to be overshadowed by one another. And part of that is aided by the fact that, again, it's like, it's a three piece, right? So there's space for people to to make their mark and, 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 and be heard. Yeah. With a larger band, everybody's sort of more on top of each other and a person can easily get buried. Yeah. Whereas in a three piece, everybody has to, every, it's more transparent and everybody can be heard. And I think that's part of it. But I also think it's like personality wise, like, you know, um, Stuart especially is like this very big flamboyant personality, yeah. right? And he talks, I've seen him talk in interviews about how one of the reasons why he put so much time and thought into his drum parts was that he's a, he was, he's a songwriter. He was originally going to be the main songwriter of the band and Sting went yoink on that idea pretty yeah. quick. But right? he actually did a couple of songs for the band that are very good. We shall get to those later. Um, but he says, you know, I'm mostly like playing in Sting. I'm, I'm mostly playing Sting songs. Yeah. And so I have one place where I can, you know, where I can make my mark. I have one place where I, that it can be my creative output and it's this drum part. And so I'm going to put 10,000% into this drum part. Yeah. And man, does it show. It does. It does. What do you think about Andy? Andy? Yeah. Well, I think Andy Summers is definitely the least talented of the group. <laughs> oh, um, well, well. Wah wah. Um, but he's still incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I get he hasn't like really kind of found you know, on a lot of these songs, he's not really found his police guitar sound. Um, but that's the kind of funny thing about this album about Atlantis de Amor is that like there's songs like Truth It's Everybody and Next to You that are very much, you know, they're, they're, they're totally standard issue kind of rock songs. Mm-hmm. But then there's a couple other songs where you can hear the police fully formed. Roxanne being one and then the other big one being Can't Stand Losing You. That's such a great Which, song. Should we listen to that? Yes. Okay. Bass and guitar doing totally different things mm-hmm. inhabiting different areas of the spectrum. So many times today, Again, bass is not on the one. It's off the beat, like in a very awkward place. It's very reggae. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> That's not a nice thing I would say about it. And the other reason it sounds like fully formed police is that it's a whole bunch of sad bastard lyrics. <laughs> what do you think about his whiny ass attitude on so many of these songs? Well, I think um, I was thinking about Taylor Swift the other day. Sure you were. And as one does. As one does. And all of her songs seem to be like songs of triumph. and Triumph over adversity. Triumph over- like my life is so hard. It's so hard. Everybody thinks, everybody has so many haters, and we're never going to get back together, even though you love me. And, and I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to hear that. I, I, I don't want to hear that from you. I don't want to hear that from you, white lady. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think that maybe it's this idea that um, music and art are for, and I say this with love, are for the losers, are for the people right, who yeah. have pain, are for the people. So his sad bastard lyrics, I think, are perfect. I think they are, they, I would appreciate them more if they were more tongue in cheek, because I, I really don't think. Old Gordon had, you know, much, many problems in the romantic. (laughs) Do you think that he knows how lucky he is? I mean, it's it's one thing to like, it's one thing to be born with that much talent, right? right? There's, I mean, there's not that many people born with that much songwriting talent. He was also born with that much songwriting talent, plus this incredible voice, this totally unique, very unique. So unique. The most unique voice. The most unique voice. Right? And a handsome face and a hot dog. And then like, and to have all of that be in that body. Yeah. Like, it's just this incredible roulette wheel triumph, you know? Yeah. You know, it's like you compare it to, I was trying, I was thinking, I don't, I was, um, I was trying to ca- get caught up on the music that the kids today are listening to. I, I don't understand. And I was listening to Ed Sheeran, Ed oh, Sheeran. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? about? The British your singer. Your body is hot. Yeah, your yeah. body is hot. Your body is so hot. Hey. We're doing shots. Put your body on me. Take me into your loving arms. So there's like, a, you know, a lot of songwriting talent and a very great voice in this schlubby little body, right? Bless him. Bless him. Bless him. Bless right? Him. Does Sting know like how like like the hand that he was dealt mm-hmm. is like the most winningest hand ever given anyone ever. Well, he's actually talked about um how how he's run his career and he puts it all down to hard work. And I think he does work very hard. I think he probably had a good leg up on a lot of other people, but in his defense, he was, you know, born in kind of a backwater. And he did have. There are many talented people who never get any you're, place. You're in assuming the world. that his hard scrabble backstory is in fact his, but as we established last <laughs> time, <laughs> he got it from Gordon Sumner, whose body rots at the bottom of the time. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. So it's hard work to have that beautiful of a face. I think it's caused him more trouble than it's worth. Can I tell you a story? So. Um, when I was, uh, 16 or 15 or 16, I went to one of those, um, in Pennsylvania, they call it governor's school. Yeah. Um, they call it like governor's honors program here in Georgia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like, uh, you know, your high schoolers can apply to go do a special, you know, public summer school situation basically. And I went to the one for the arts, um, at Mercyhurst college in Erie, Pennsylvania. Nice. Um, 
which I think is the college in that movie, That Thing You Do. Oh, fun. That's a um, great movie. Want to see my deck? You got to be quick with me. I'm from Erie, PA. But anywho, um, so I have this, you know, to- totally like magical, you know, summer, you know. Did I was you th- fall in love? <laughs> so this 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 <laughs> lovely girl that I yes, spent you did a lot of. <laughs> I would not use the L word, but this lovely girl that I spent, you know, most of that summer with. Um, summer loving. I'm so, I'm not gonna identify her because she's just like this is just such a dick thing that she said, but like, we're, we're all assholes when we're 16, right? I think you know? we're all assholes all um, the time till the day we die. Oh, okay. But we're particularly <laughs> assholes when we're 16. Extra, the most unique assholes. So anyway, she was a theater kid. I was a music kid. And we were just kind of sitting around shooting the shit one day. And I just sort of remarked at how like, how incredible it was that we were around all of these people were so talented and also so beautiful. <laughs> like, cause it was just, it was just like, yeah. it was just, it was like this like Elysian field situation yeah. of just like all of these like beautiful young nymphs, you know, <laughs> frolicking in this like pastoral landscape with their harps, harps. and shit, you know, <laughs> La. right. <laughs> I'm Diana. <laughs> The goddess of love. <laughs> exactly. I'm Mitzi. <laughs> so I was just kind of remarking on that. I was like, "This is that? Isn't it weird that like, isn't it weird that all these really talented people are also super beautiful too?" Is what I was saying. I suppose that's kind of a dick thing to say myself. But that's not a dick thing. What she that's said that was thing. even more dick is she said, "She said I think it's something that just kind of comes naturally to people with a lot of creative talent. Hotness. It, yeah, hotness. Yes." <laughs> Oh, I can I can point to I'm sorry, sixteen year old girl, but I can point to dozens of great writers who were total trolls. Only dozens. Only dozens. Only mm. dozens. Because I, I'm, you know, I'm keeping the bar real low, <laughs> real low. <laughs> I think it just happens when you're creative. I think that is that seems like something like Hitler would have said. Yeah, right. <laughs> Right. And there's something kind of fascistic about the police's whole look, is there not? Don't Ooh. they don't they have a whole kind of like Aryan, Aryan master thing. race thing going yeah. on? They kind of do. They've got the blonde hair and they're so white and their album cover really And they look kind of sinister on the cover of Atlantis Demo. <laughs> you know what? I wonder um if the if the what is that movie with Roddy McDowell and it's um Clockwork Orange. Yes. Street Toughs. Street Toughs. I mean, this could very much be- They went to crew cuts. They went to crew cuts. I would like one fascist haircut, please. Now, there are a couple of big clunkers on this record, in my opinion. I don't think there are. Really? I you don't. like all of these songs? I love all of them. Except for the very last one. <laughs> You like born in the 50s? We were born to dun, 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 born in the 50s. What about Andy Summers' songwriting contribution to this record, which is Be My Girl, Sally? Ah, uh, I think, uh, well, maybe I don't love everything on that. So it's this happy schmappy kind of power punk thing. <laughs> Um, I'll skip ahead. Power Punk needs to come back. And then it becomes this. If I'd had too much to drink. This art school bullshit. Art school bullshit. This is art school bullshit. 
It would be one thing if he was talking about something super, t- you know, kind of interesting, but it's like a joke about having sex with a sex doll and falling in love with her. <laughs> so creative. And so, so edgy. Risque. So risque. In a special magazine. So An ad that dumb. was unusual, the like, I'd never seen. Experience something different. And this is something that I think I'm, an argument I'm going to make about a lot of future police records is that a, a lot of police records have filler, like lots of filler songs on them. I mean, like this isn't even a B-side. This no. is like, I don't know how this made anything. I don't, this I, don't, is a, I don't. This is a Zed side. Yeah, this is. Ooh, nice. Total Zed, Zed side. side. Zed side, Andy. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I were his friend, but not really his friend, I call him Zed Side Andy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one one a song on here that is a real disappointment to me, and a lot of people like love it is uh, "So Lonely." I love this song. You like this song? Yes. It's a lovely little totally stolen reggae groove. <laughs> it is a totally um, stolen reggae But the so melody well. just does the same thing over and over and over again. More, see, more love, sad bastard lyrics. There. I that? love his vocals there. It's kind of atonal. That. that. Mm. I, it's true. A lot of his harmony vocals are out of tune in yeah. a way that I really like. Yeah. It sounds very fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of similar to me to like when you listen to, um, uh, you know, like m- music from West Africa or or Indonesia where they're not they're using kind of off tuning systems off to Western ears. Hmm. And it sounds like kind of awesomely and intriguingly wrong. Yeah. I get that same vibe from a lot of the harmony singing. Right. I think it's cool. However, this song, okay, so here's the chorus. So lonely, so lonely, <laughs> so lonely, yeah. But that's... And now we could virtually stop listening because it's the same song from here on out. <laughs> we've heard the verse, we've heard the chorus, we've heard all this song has to offer, but it's going to go true. on for like a lot longer. That's not true. He's got so much more self-wallowing to do. <laughs> I just can't with this song. It goes on for so long. Welcome to this one show. Yeah. I mean, it's so, just take a seat, they're always free. I mean, like, how does he not laugh when he's, when he's I mean, come on. This is a great song, though. No, it's not. It's a great song. <laughs> Do you I hit? like the repetitiveness of it. You I like, think it. I think it goes back to... You like to, being bored? Well, I think <laughs> if the form matches the content... Mm-hmm. Um, then that song, I think. What the hell does that mean? Well, I mean, like the form of the song, it's it's repetitive and redundant, and he's talking about how lonely he is. Nothing ever happens, and no new things ever occur to him. And the song just the form matches the content. <laughs> <laughs> Time to talk about our second sponsor on today's program, the Rod Stewart Do You Think I'm Sexy Home Gym. Ever want to spend an afternoon playing footy with the boys only to find that you don't have the crackle you used to have? Avoiding a dirty weekend with the missus because you don't want to take your vest off? Ladies, have all those hen nights up at the boozer taken a toll on your feminine curves? 
then the Rod Stewart Do You Think I'm Sexy Home Gym will get you all sussed out. For only a tenner a week, you can get the physique that will set those tongues wagging at the local discotheque. So I signed up for uh, the Do You Think I'm Sexy Home Gym. And again, you know, tenner a week, it's great. Um, you know, and... you, you don't need it, Meg. Oh, come on now. You don't. Uh, you know, you got to keep it high and tight. <laughs> um, so it came... And I was surprised because instead of weights, what you get are big buckets of oil of Olay, um, which, as we all know, is Rod Stewart's beauty secret. Yes. So you get two ten pound or uh, yeah, two ten pound gallons of um, no, that wouldn't be right. Two well, ten well, gallons. Pi- well, a pint's a pound the world around. Oh, nice. If it's water, but I don't know the relative density of oil of Olay. I think it's war- far more dense than water. Okay. I think it is. That's how it keeps us all. Okay, so, so sure, it's a 10-pound gallon. Let's 10 go with 10-pound gallon. gallon. We're going with yeah. a 10-pound gallon. Yeah. And you lift it, and then um, it, it, and it just makes you just so much stronger emotionally and physically <laughs> because you really are signing on to the Rod Stewart way of looking at life. And part of that is um, the, the hip straps. The, mm. You have to do the, the hip waggle. And when you I'm do waggling. the hip waggle, um, the famous Do You Think I'm Sexy hip waggle. And when you do that, you they somehow have this way of piping in rods, Do You Think I'm Sexy, while you're doing the hip waggle. Mm. So it really just boosts your confidence, you know, physically, emotionally. If you want my body and you think I'm sexy, come along and tell me so. It, it really is a way of life. The song sort of reacts with the oil of Olay, it, kind of like the slime from Ghostbusters 2. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's just, it's a way of life. And I'm guessing that the the containers of the oil of Olay are uncovered. So when you slam the weight, you slam yes. the weights down slam on the, the thing, down. it just goes sploosh, oil of Olay all over you. And, you're, and your skin is so much better. Right. And just think, ladies, after... <laughs> After decades of training with the Rod Stewart home gym, you can look, you can age just as well as Rod Stewart has. If you feel you need me, just reach out and touch. I mean, honestly, think about it. Like, Rod Stewart. He's been married and, like 10 times. And He's Sting, like when they were young, basically looked the same. It, it, and and look at the relative trajectories. Right? Exactly. And the thing is, like, um, so there's this joke in, like, the Sting fan communities that if you like Sting, you'll automatically hate Rod Stewart. Because Sting um, was a big fan of Rod Stewart, and then he just kind of saw how lame he was when he got famous. And, you know, he wrote a song about it, which, you know, will be our words of wisdom coming up. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see how Sting has become what he hated in Rod Stewart. Let's make it Uh, he still looks better, though. Oh, God, that guy's got a craggle face. Mm. Rod Stewart. But Sting. So what album are we going to be talking about next, Meg? Uh, next album, I believe, is Regatta de Blanc. 1979's Regatta de Blanc. Uh, that's a good one. Famous for... Hmm, I'm trying to remember. (laughs) 
I don't oh, even know what the hell you you're doing. You didn't get it from that? No. Oddly enough, I didn't. <laughs> Message in a Bottle is on this record. Ah, there yeah, you go. One of the most unsingable guitar riffs ever. <laughs> you should give it a, the college shot, though. I sure tried. Wow. I tried my hardest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Meg, does uh, Sting have any words of wisdom for us today? He does, and his words of wisdom are very ironic, as I mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, Our words of wisdom today are from the song Peanuts and are a young Sting's burn book entry on Rod Stewart. (laughs) You sang your song for much too long. There's something wrong. Your brain is gone. So Sting, die hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. (laughs) That's what I'm seeing with this this song. (laughs) Because Rod's got nothing on you, pal. Talk to us about Sting on the internet. I'm at a Ragusia on Twitter. Meg is at Donahue Meg, and you can use our super memorable, intuitive so hashtag memorable. that we have designated for conversations about Sting, and that is <laughs> Jazz Dad's Ships. Hashtag Jazz Dad's Ships. <laughs> so Everything? unique. It's the most so unique. unique. It's the most unique. <laughs> so uh, put on your uh, metal bikini. Do it. And uh, step out of the shower with the kind of the steam kind of going whoosh, whoosh. right out of you. Lovely thing. Does he come out of a pod then? Mm, probably a pod. We need to. Re- I need to rewatch yeah. Dune. Um, everybody needs a pod. You gotta have a pod. <laughs> you gotta have a pod. Uh, and then, I keep mine under my bed. And then just get on your computer and uh, tweet your thoughts to us with the hashtag JazzDadsShips. Yes. Uh, for Outlandos the Podcast, I'm Adam Ragusia. And I'm Meg Donahue. That's bye. Your, bye. 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 Is that what you say at the end of the podcast? Bye. Bye. Does this bye. exist in time? I don't see, know. See you tomorrow? Is this? Is you might this listen to the next one right now. I know. It's so about to say. Does this see you tra- right see you, now? See you in a second. See or never. Or if never. You, if you're not going to listen anymore or if you've already stopped listening by now, like. Maybe you switch Fuck it off. off. Fuck off, dude. You we say? hate you. You're the worst. Or if you kept listening, you're the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 B